I have some very vivid memories of when each of our children were born uh, back in the 80s, and I know many of you do as well. But some of you in this room became parents in the days when dads had to stay out in a waiting room, was not allowed to go back into the delivery room. Remember those? How, how many of you, that was, your, that was your situation? Yeah, several, many of you. And um, so you'll, you'll understand uh, this story from some years ago when a group of fathers were in the waiting room uh, waiting for their children to be born and suddenly the nurse came in and she told the first father, she said, congratulations, your wife just gave birth to twins and he jumped up all excited and said that's wonderful and it's a real coincidence because I work for the Minnesota Twins. And uh, about an hour later, nurse came back in and she told the second father, congratulations, your wife just gave birth to triplets. And he was beside himself and said, this is, this, is, this is crazy because, you know, I work for 3M. About that time, the third father passed out. <laughs> Nurse went over, tended to him. When he came to, she asked him what's wrong. He said, I work for 7-Up. <laughs> you know, children, children bring smiles to our faces. And, you know, we, we look at kids as they play and we grin, we laugh and they bring so much joy, and when, when our children are born, we, we have so many dreams and so many hopes for them and for our family and for the future. When, um, you know, kids, when, when young people fall in love and uh, get married, and most of them want to have children, some don't. Some couples struggle to get pregnant, and there's a lot of tears and a lot of prayer, and Sunday school classes rally around them, and many of these couples spend a lot of money, more than some of us realize, a lot of money in an effort to get pregnant because they want children so bad. And all of that just points to the fact that that family is really important to us. It means so much to us. But sometimes our dreams of relationships as the years pass as those children become teenagers and then become young adults and beyond. Our dreams of getting together as a family with our adult children and our grandchildren, of having warm and loving and kind relations, sometimes those dreams do not become reality. All of us can look around in our lives and we are aware of, of people whose families are, are torn apart. Brothers and sisters not talking to each other, children not talking to parents, and vice versa. Maybe that's you. There's a member of your family, your immediate family, your extended family, and your relationship with that person or those persons is broken and, and it's not close and it's not what you wanted, but it's where you are. So this sermon series, Future Family, is designed as we study Colossians 3 to help us understand some biblical teaching some biblical principles that that god wants us to to practice in our lives that will increase the opportunity for the likelihood of our relationships with our loved ones in the years to come to be healthy does it guarantee a positive outcome no because we're, we all have free will there's multiple people involved you can't control what others do you can only control yourself but there are behaviors there that 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 we as followers of christ if we are guilty of certain behaviors it can push people away it can damage our family in the future it can, it can damage the way kids and grandkids grow up but there's also behaviors that as followers of christ if we practice these it 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 
makes it more likely that that our relationships with our extended family will be positive and healthy in the the years to come and that we'll be a a good influence and that our kids will grow up with a you know with self-esteem and a and a proper outlook on the world and life and the things of god and we're, we're talking about so much more than just being you know someone who goes to church all the time so much more than you know being being involved in church and seeing that your kids are taken to church and your kids are involved in church because being at church and having your kids that matters but that doesn't cut it that doesn't really get the job done What's so much more important is what happens within you and within me as followers of Christ. The kind of people we are, the kind of people we're becoming while we're at church. That has a major influence on relationships and on on how people respond to us. So I want you to take your Bible and open it to the the book of Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Now, You'll remember that uh, there's only four verses, verses 18 to 21, talking about family. The first few verses talk about our relationship with Jesus, and then the majority of verses preceding verse 18 focus on behavior as Christians when it comes to how we relate to other believers. And what we're doing is applying those teachings to the family relationships because if God expects you to treat somebody in your Sunday school class a certain way, you know he expects you to treat your family that way. So those teachings apply. And that's what we're doing. Now, last week, we looked at some warnings that God gives us in this chapter. And he says, if you do these things, you react this way, you say these kind of things, emotionally you're this way, you're going to damage relationships. You're going to damage the way children in your family grow up. You're going to weaken the future of your extended and immediate family. Now, today... We're going to turn it over and look at the other side of the coin and look at some of the positive qualities. Those that build relationships, that build self-esteem in our children, that, that strengthen family dynamics and, and, and the, the, the possibility that in the future we'll be getting along really well with our first cousin or our sister or our nephew or our children and grandchildren and their, their spouses. And the kind of person we are as followers of Christ. Not just how active we are at church, but the kind of person we are as a follower of Jesus Christ. Is is critical to how healthy those relationships can be in the future. Because as as a follower of Christ who's growing, God is producing certain qualities in us. In the book of Galatians, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit that is produced in us. Jesus talked in the Gospel of John about His being the vine and we're the branches. And as long as we're connected to Him, then we produce a certain kind of fruit. Paul is essentially saying the same thing in this section of Scripture, but he describes it with a different analogy. He talks about clothing that we wear as a follower of Christ, a new kind of person. And so I want us to read together beginning at verse 9. Okay, Colossians 3 verse 9. This is, uh, starts with the end of the warning passage when he said, do not lie. That was the last warning he sounded because you'll destroy trust in your family if you're guilty of being dishonest in your relationships, your communication. And he said, the reason you as a Christian do not do those things 
is because at the middle part of verse 9, you have already laid aside the old self with its evil practices, the old man, the old woman, the old you before Christ. You are now in Christ and you focus on the things of heaven, not the things that are earthy, the things that are of the flesh, that are of this culture necessarily. You're a new person. The Bible tells us that old things have passed away. All things have become new. In Corinthians, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So the old person is dead, died with Christ, crucified with Jesus. But you also experienced spiritual resurrection when you gave your life to Christ. He says, you, so you, you've put aside the old, that old person is dead. And in verse 10, you've put on a new self, already done it, past tense. The moment you became a follower of Christ, you became someone new. Now, does that mean you became perfect? No. Does that mean that every bad habit suddenly changed? No. But it does mean that suddenly you had a new nature, a spiritual nature, and the Holy Spirit lives within you, and you are a new person, and you are going to be constantly changing and improving and growing because you're not that old person anymore. You're someone new. That's already happened. You may not think of yourself that way, The way you live may even indicate you're not. But if you're following Christ, you're a new person. You're not the person you were before Jesus. You are a new man, a new woman in Jesus. And he says, now, because of that, notice in verse 10, you've already put on this new self who is being renewed, an ongoing process of renewing, renewing, getting better, growing, improving becoming more Christ-like. He says, being renewed, notice he says, to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. In other words, the longer you live as the Christian that you became when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, as time passes, you get to know Jesus better. And the more you get to know Jesus, the more you become like the image of the Creator, like Christ, like the Father. You become more Christ-like. Christian growth is not is not about how many activities you attend at church. Christian growth is in your speech, your thinking, your attitude, your decisions, your values, your priorities, your lifestyle, the way you deal with people in your family and other places. Are you doing it more like Jesus as the years pass or not? That's the sign of growth. That's godliness. That's Christ-likeness. It's not about religious activity. It's about being transformed and becoming a new person that's more like Christ. And then he says, because you're this new person, in verse 11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, uh, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, but Christ is all and in all. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Because you're this new man, new woman in Christ. Here's what you need to do. You need to dress like it. You see, you're already the new person. Now you need to dress like it. What does somebody do when they lose a lot of weight? Hmm? They go out and buy what? (laughs) New clothes. A couple years ago when I lost 50 pounds, I spent quite a bit of money buying new clothes. That's what you do. When you are a new person in Christ, what do you do? You put on new clothes and you keep putting them on. And what are those new clothes? What's that new look? What's that evidence of Christ's likeness? Well, he says here, you put on a heart of compassion. 
You grow in kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Verse 13, you learn how to bear with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has complained against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you do. Verse 14, and beyond all these things, put on what? What church? Y'all with me? Love, which is the perfect bond of unity, holds it all together. So let's take a few moments and look at this new clothing we're supposed to wear. And as we go through this, I want you to be asking yourself a question. What, what piece of clothing do I need to put on? What piece of clothing do I resist taking out of the closet and wearing? Because of each of these qualities that build relationships are garments hanging in your spiritual closet, so to speak, as a follower of Christ, as that new person, which ones are you wearing and which ones are you not wearing? Which ones do you look at and say, you know, I don't know I want to wear that today. What's God saying to you about the kind of clothing you're wearing as a new person, as a follower of Christ? So let's, let's um, look at this. And, and, and by the way, you, you know the reason these matter? Hmm? It's because of what's said in verse 11. Now, he's writing this to the church, so think about this. He said, the family of faith is comprised of people who come from different places and different backgrounds. Greeks and Jews. Greeks... It was a term that referred to not only the people in the nation of Greece, but those who were part of that Greek empire and Greek culture who had adopted Greek culture and the Greek language. And anybody who wasn't, you know, there's a difference, religious differences. The, the barbarians, the barbarians was, that was a, a, just a nasty way of referring to anybody that they did not think measured up to Greek culture and Greek language and Greek standards Uh, it'd be like the stereotypes that of of the beverly hillbillies when you use the word hillbilly it's that same kind of insult to someone the the other people group mentioned there were were a a tribal group that lived up along the black sea and they it, it would it would have been some of the language that 200 years ago some settlers would have used when referring to native americans And, and then he talks about slave and free, rich and poor, and people with different economic statuses. And what he's saying is that, that, that Jesus died for all of them, loves all of them. And when they become followers of Christ, they're all in the family. And when you're his, they're part of your family, and you love them, not because of who they are, but because in Christ they are brothers, they are sisters, all in him, through a relationship with Christ. Now, brothers and sisters, listen to me. The church, even though it was made up of so many different kinds of people, was under all this pressure from the outside. They didn't need to eat themselves alive from the inside. And I want to tell you something. Your family's in the same boat. Because this culture's not doing a lot to strengthen family, is it? This culture isn't doing much to help parents raise their kids in a positive and Christ-like manner. It's all these attacks. Well, if you who follow Christ don't know how to act right within your own family, what chance does your family have? And so it matters. It matters greatly. Now, there's going to be conflict. I mean, 
those of us who are parents and grandparents know that <laughs> no two kids in any family, no matter how many children are born into that family, no two kids are the same, right? I mean, sometimes we look at our children and wonder, you all have the same mother and father. How can you be so different, right? And sometimes over years, those differences lead to what? Yeah, right? A little tension, a little conflict. Different approaches to how they want to spend their life. Some are more independent than others. There's conflict that develops. And sometimes what we want to do is we want to push everybody into the same mold. That's unrealistic. The world's not like that. The church is not like that. Your family's not like that. And parents and grandparents, if you're trying to force every relative, all of your kids and grandkids into the same mold, then you're just creating problems for your family. It's not going to work. They're different. We're born with certain personality types. It's who we are. And so because of that, it matters. I, well, let's just look at these. Put on the new self. Look at verse 12. Here, here's this new clothing. Which one do you need to put on? You're not wearing enough. A heart of compassion. The old King James translates it, I think, bowels of mercy. Because it's really a, a combination of two words in the original language. One for your bowels, your guts, your intestines. Because in the ancient world, that was considered the seat of emotions. It, we, we tend to use the word heart for that. And pity, mercy, compassion. It's the idea of looking at somebody and just strongly feeling. This, this, this word was used when Jesus stood at Lazarus' tomb and saw his sisters crying and, and, and he was moved with compassion. This word is used in Matthew 9 when Jesus saw this large crowd of spiritually lost people who didn't have a, a shepherd and, 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 and they were burdened. And the Bible is the same place where Jesus said the, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Pray God will send out workers into that harvest. And it's in that passage that, it, that Jesus had compassion for all those lost people. It's this gut-wrenching feeling of emotion, especially for people who are hurting or struggling. We have a need. And there are going to be all these moments in your family's life when someone is struggling. Someone's messing up. And those are tough to deal with, right? But one of the things you need to make certain you have in your relationships with those members of your family when they're struggling is they need to know there's some compassion in you. If you're going to have any positive influence on them. Bowels of compassion. Show compassion. He continues... In verse 12, we're talking about kindness. That's the attitude we have toward another person. Being gracious, friendly, helpful. It's the opposite of being harsh or severe or critical all the time or stern. You know what kindness is. He also describes humility. That's the attitude you have toward yourself. You think you're better than them? You think you're smarter than them? Pride, arrogance, condescension, humility. This says, I'm not going to use status 
to hammer somebody. It's humility that Philippians tells us, which enabled Jesus to leave heaven and come to earth, not insisting that he hang on to what was rightfully his. It's humility, Philippians tells us, that allowed Jesus to go to the cross and die and suffer not for anything he had done, but for what others had done, for what we had done, our sin. That's humility. Gentleness is the next one. That's how you approach people, how you deal with them. It's the opposite of arrogance and rudeness and abuse. I like the way one uh, scholar describes gentleness. He calls it power under control. See, this doesn't mean you're weak. Sometimes it takes great strength not just to always react. It takes great strength to shut your mouth. It takes great strength to not allow, to not allow anger and a grudge to dominate you. It takes great strength to not always insist on what is rightfully yours, to not insist on what you may want because it's not what's better for the other person. Gentleness. And then he talks about patience. That's how we react to people. It's, it's a choice we make to show some restraint. comes more naturally to some than others. But it's important in all relationships that we grow in patience. Now, one of, one of the points is, as he talks about being renewed, is that you and I are, it's like we go shopping from time to time. And we buy a new shirt and a new coat and a new pair of pants and a new pair of shoes. In other words, your patience, you know, may be here right now, but it's it's getting old and worn and you need some new patience and and you need to take it up a notch. You need to grow in each of these qualities because while you put off the old and, and, and you're the new, that's a, that's a moment in time that happens at salvation. This getting dressed, this being renewed is ongoing, continuous. As you increasingly learn patience, as you increasingly learn what it means to be gentle, as you increasingly learn how to be kind, it's not that you're all there now, but you move and you're growing. And you want to grow. You don't settle for where you are. You don't settle for what has been. Patience. Look at verse 13. Bearing with one another. You know what that means? That means putting up with people who irritate you. Anybody? <laughs> any of you know anybody that irritates you? Huh? Yeah, you do, don't you? You may be sitting near one. <laughs> yeah. You know, there are people in our family, people at church, people at work, neighbors. They irritate us. We just don't like them. We don't like, we just don't like, <laughs> you know, we just don't like certain things about them. Our and this is, just came to mind. I remember years ago when I was, when I was in Sumter as pastor. Man, that's a, that's a flashback back in the early mid-'80s. Um, we were at a school event. And I may have told you this. I don't remember. But uh, I still remember when the school program was over. A young man in our church, he was in his 20s, came over to me. And uh, he told me, 
that the first time I came to that church, first time he heard me preach, he didn't like me. He didn't know why. He just didn't like me. He just saw me and heard me heard, heard, heard my voice and didn't like me. And he was mad at me the whole time. No, he just didn't like me because he, he just didn't like me. And uh, it took about two years for God to get him over that. You know, we have issues with people sometimes for serious reasons, sometimes for silly reasons. But there's, there's people we've got to put it with. And, and by the way, some of you learn how important this is because your kids grew up and got married. And, they, and, and that spouse of your child, your beautiful, precious baby boy, baby girl, married that person. You don't like them. Huh? Or maybe they have a, they have a parent. Okay, now it's your son-in-law or daughter-in-law's mom or dad that gets on your nerves. I mean, there's... There's, as your family expands, what happens? There's adjustments. New people come into it. And you don't like them all at first. Am I, am, is, is this real? But if, if you're going to be a jerk about it, what's going to happen to your family dynamics? You, you want relationships with your son? I told you the other day when I went home to the funeral when my when my cousin was killed in that coal mining accident in Kentucky, that his oldest brother and his mom hadn't spoken to each other in over a year, and it wasn't because his brother was mad at his mom, but because his mom and his brother's wife didn't get along. But guess who the brother chose? His wife. You better think it matters, and and don't you just point your finger and blame all those other people in your life. Don't blame your daughter-in-law. Don't blame your son-in-law. Look in the mirror and ask God to show you what clothing you need to put on as a follower of Christ to be a witness, to be an example of Christ's likeness to them. You can't control him or her. You can control you. And then he says, forgiving. It's needed. He said, forgive when anybody has a complaint, or I think the NIV says grievance. Well, sometimes we have legitimate complaints, right? Right? But yet he says, do what? Forgive. If you, if you insist on always winning, And always being right, all you are doing is increasingly narrowing the number of people who can be part of your life in an intimate way. You have to learn to forgive people. How many of y'all remember the the long-running program on television, Little House on the Prairie? You remember that show? You know the Ingalls? Now, who's the, the character on the bottom? Yeah, everybody knows Nellie. Nobody liked Nellie. She was mean. She and her mom, right? They were just, they were mean. Nobody liked Nellie. Nobody liked her mom. They were just always making little Laura Ingalls cry. Right? Well, Nellie was played by an actress. His first name is Allison. Just a few years ago, Allison was in Los Angeles with other uh, former child stars signing autographs at a certain location. 
And she and her husband were seated at this table, and people would come up and give them, you know, a photograph or a book or a piece of paper or whatever, and they would autograph it. And she was sitting there, and all of a sudden this woman, about 40 years old, walked up, and Allison looked up, you know, Nellie. Allison looked up and smiled at her and, you know, was looking for something to sign, but the woman didn't have anything for her to sign. This 40-year-old woman just stood there, her face all flushed with emotion and anger. She couldn't talk. She was shaking, literally shaking. And after a little bit, she managed to murder, just, just mutter these words, uh, I forgive you. And then didn't say anything else, exhaled, turned, and walked away. Over a TV character. But the truth is, a lot of the grudges we hold on to that destroy families are just as silly. Now, not all of them. Some of them are about serious stuff, right? But you know what grudges do? Make you a miserable person. They make you the kind of person that it's hard for others to want to hang around with. Because it's just hard to live your life as that kind of person. And then I just showed almost everybody in some form or fashion. You become the slave. You become the prisoner. You become the one that is impacted most. And so learning to practice forgiveness so you can have lasting relationships. And and, and by the way, he says do it. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven you. In other words, is it not presumptuous to celebrate and enjoy the fact that God has forgiven you and then refuse to forgive others yourself? Isn't that the height of of, of ungratitude and arrogance? Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for forgiving me. But I'm not forgiving him. I'm not letting go of my grudge toward her. But thank you, Jesus. I've sinned so many times. Thank you, thank you. But no. That's the point he's making. Because if, if, if God had acted toward us the way we often act toward others, we'd all be going to hell because Jesus would never have gone to the cross. He took the initiative, not us. He took the first step, not us. He laid down his life for us. He says, of his own volition... Of his own will. Not because of anything we did to move him or motivate him to do so. He did it because why? He loves us. That's what love does. You want love in your life? You want love in your family? You've got to learn how to let go of some stuff and forgive some people. And then he says, put on, put on love in verse 14 which is the perfect bond of unity. Love is the thing that holds all this together. Love is the motivation for it. See, every, every quality, every piece of clothing he mentioned in verse 12 and 13, 
are an expression, a visible, tangible expression of love. But love is bigger than all of them. Patience is how you show love. Kindness is a way of showing love. Forgiveness is a way of showing love. Putting up with people who irritate you is a way of showing love, right? Is love bigger than those? Absolutely. Because we, we could have a list that just went on, an endless list of ways we show love, and love is bigger than all of it. But love is the thing that holds it all together because you got to do it out of love. And also, if you love, you do it. And if you don't do it, it means your love is struggling. And so he says, put on these clothing. Now, you're already the new person, but you've got to make the choice to put on this new clothing. To look like the person, in other words, dress like the person you are. Who are you? A follower of Christ. Holy, saints, new person. Dress like it. Wear this clothing in your relationships. You see, how do you, how do you look like Jesus? It's, it's seen in how you treat people. That, that says a whole lot more about our Christ-like character than how many activities at church, how much Bible we can quote, is how do you treat people? And to be, none of us are perfect at it. I'm not, you're not, none of us are. But we're to be growing in it. Wherever you are today, you should not be the same kind of person in all of these qualities you were five years ago. And next year, you need to be growing in, the, in these qualities beyond where you are today. And, and as I ask at the beginning, which one do you need to pull out of the closet and start wearing because you don't like wearing it? Which one is it? There's probably one above the others for each of us. Well, let me, let me wrap this up. The last point is that you, you just have to be intentional, brothers and sisters. It's a choice to put on the clothing. I mean, how many of you went to the closet this morning or last night and chose what you wore today. Hmm? I did. I had all these different things hanging there, and I, I chose this. For whatever reason, I chose this. Well, of all of these qualities, these, these pieces of clothing, which one do you need to choose to wear because you haven't been wearing it and you don't want to wear it? You need to wear it because it will help your family. You need to wear it because it will honor Christ. You need, you need to wear it because it will bless somebody in your life. Um. There was a there was a 23 year old 23 year old woman who very suddenly unexpectedly without any explanation or warning just cut off her parents wouldn't talk to them wouldn't visit them no contact when they would call she wouldn't she wouldn't uh, she wouldn't answer the few times she did answer, she very abruptly told them if she had anything to say, she'd call them and don't call her again. Now, how do you think her parents felt? They were hurt. They were devastated. And after a little while, the hurt turned into what? Anger. And as they struggled through all of that, they made a decision to keep showing her love. You know what they did? Every week, once a week, once a week, every week, the dad would send this daughter a single red rose. And the card would read, every single time the card would read, we love you. He did this every week for seven months.
By the way, parents, grandparents, since God has given us the children, the grandchildren, it is up to those of us who are older to always take the initiative. Okay? And to never stop loving. Stop trying. Did that every week for seven months. And after seven months, the daughter called. I just just called one day and asked to come over. She went over to their house. Long story short, they were reconciled. And they've been reconciled ever since. But the dad asked her about the roses. What did you do with the roses? She said at first I threw them away. And then I started giving them away to some friends. And finally, I started keeping them. She said as signs that you were keeping me in your heart one rose at a time. You see, as a follower of Christ, we don't always do things because people deserve it. We don't always do things because it's easy. We do things because we are what? Followers of Jesus Christ. It's that simple. Is it always easy? No. Is it always reciprocated? No. But other people don't determine our character. We make that choice. Now let me ask you, do you think if we were more consistent in trying to practice these qualities in our relationships with our immediate and extended family, there'd be more healthy relationships than exist right now? That if, that if we stopped justifying the, the negative behaviors we looked at last Sunday that damaged relationships and hurt people and, and really made an intentional effort to own who we are, do you think you, you think it give a greater likelihood of some good things happening down the road? Guarantees? No, I'm, I don't want to give you false hope. Okay? No guarantees, right? I mean, God loves us with an everlasting love, and not everybody gets saved. Jesus died for everyone. Not everyone accepts Christ's offer of forgiveness. You can't control whether someone reciprocates, but Brothers and sisters, we can sure create the conditions that makes it possible. And in the process, be free. Not always of hurt, but of those kind of sinful attitudes and dispositions that, that lessen our Christ-likeness. And that hurt us in ways we often don't think about. So let's stand.